Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And this week, we have a very special guest who I'll introduce in a second. Our topic this week is an important one and a conversation all of us should be having in our organizations, equity and nonprofits. We had a preview to today's conversation at a recent conference, and that got us all the more excited to keep talking about equity in many different forums. But before we dive in, we wanted to frame the conversation for our audience. That's right. We want to talk about equity because, as our listeners know, we believe at their core, nonprofits are about building community around important missions. We know that some of our listeners are in communities and already doing great work in equity, and others are just getting started on this journey. We hope that wherever you are, either geographically or in your thinking about equity, that you'll join us and be present for this conversation. We imagine that you share with us the goal of creating space where everyone feels like they belong. And we're hoping today we'll get some good, solid ideas on how to do that. And I'm sure we absolutely will. But to be clear, Sarah and I are two white women who are learning every day in this area. We are grateful to our teachers who get us thinking and challenge us in new ways. And particularly today, we have a a fun teacher to introduce you to. We are very prepared to do the work that we need to do to be reflective, to pause and think, to recognize our own privilege, and to be willing to participate in hard conversations. And, you know, you are listeners, you are our community. So we want to be learningful in community with you. So as you listen to this, please write to us, uh, chime in and share with us what you're thinking. So with that, I'm delighted to introduce to you one of my teachers on many things, on equity and so much more, Tara Ramos. Tara is a Nupiak, Alaska native. She was born and raised in Spokane and is a former survivor of the educational system, the juvenile justice system, and the child welfare system. She has spent the majority of her career in the nonprofit world working on racial equity in the very system she experienced. In 2020, she opened her own consulting firm called Red Fox Consulting to help organizations across the spectrum build their cultural and racial awareness. She is mom to three beautiful kids. She loves riding her horses and she loves to laugh with her husband. Tara, welcome. So Yuna Park, uh, thank you very much. My Nupach name is Kalak. I am a Nupach Eskimo. My family is from Kayana, Alaska, but I was born and raised in Spokane, as you stated, and I'm really excited to be here. Well, I think we can just dive in and get started if, if everyone's ready to go. I want to thank you so much for joining us and also appreciate and recognize that we know this is not easy work and that we especially are grateful that you're taking the time to help those of us in positions of privilege to do our own hard work and reflection. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, reflection, I think, is a good place to start. I think so many of us in the nonprofit world are so busy doing, right? The to-do list is way too long. Your mission needs you to do 48 more things in the day. And yet, Questions around equity and inclusion and belonging, they require reflection. And so can you help us just think through about the role of reflection in addressing race and racism? You know, when you're on on an equity journey and you're building your cultural competency or your cultural development, it's really a huge part of understanding how you fit in the world, 
how others fit in the world and how the system works to either build you up or build somebody else up and understanding and reflecting on that. The power structures that we all live in is a really, really important part of that. So spending and integrating time doing reflection work is a huge part of that. I had the chance to listen to your amazing presentation, North Central Washington Conference, and I'm not going to get it quite right, but you had this wonderful metaphor of when you're building a bridge between two cultures, you, you have to start with you know your side of the bridge and make sure it's really, really solid. Would you tell our listeners a little more about that concept? Because it definitely resonated for me. Absolutely. So when you're building bridges with others, when you're trying to reach across racial lines or cultural lines, you really want to understand who you are. You want to know your strengths. You want to know your cultural background. You want to know where you come from so that you can be stronger, so that you can, your side of the bridge is on a foundation of which identity is strong. So that when when challenges come along, when maybe there's a faux pas or you or you make a mistake, you understand that it's just a mistake and that you're going to do better the next time. So those bridges are built stronger when your identity and your foundation is solid. I, I really like this notion of reflecting on yourself and reflecting on the systems, because so often we're caught in systems that we don't see that, that they're just there. And, you know, nonprofits work within systems, and we often feel so disempowered within those systems. And so reflecting on that just generally, but also with that race and racism lens is is such an interesting and important use of time as as you go through this journey. I appreciate that. Well, and I think it's one of the pieces, if, if I'm honest, I think it's one of the pieces that's hard as a white woman. Sometimes what you see in your past is maybe not something you're proud of. And so spending that time reflecting and, and reckoning with it and kind of grappling with it and understanding what's my place then in the going forward from a past that maybe isn't one I fully am excited to have in my past um, is I think part of why sometimes it's hard for especially people of white privilege to to do that reflection. And what I so loved about your building bridges is you still have to do it um, and you, you still have to get comfortable with the discomfort of it. Well, and I think when we talk about race, we don't talk about how these systems of power and oppression affect white people. We sometimes hyper-focus on, and we should focus on, on how it's affecting Black and Indigenous and other POC. But I think what is not talked about is how liberation for all people is tied and connected to white people as well. We want white people to be liberated from these systems of, of oppression as well. And we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't see that as a part of the journey. And it absolutely is a part of the journey. I want to liberate my white and brothers and sisters as much as I want to do our black and brown sisters and brothers, because what the truth is, is this system is a failure for all of us. And it is a, a painful failure. So white people have to give up something inside themselves in order to gain the power that they gain in the system. That's not talked about. And so I like to talk about it. I like to elucidate it because I want my liberation tied to your liberation as white people. And it's in a huge, huge, if you, if you connect it that way, then it's so much easier to pay attention and reflect on the ways in which systems are causing harm to all of us. It's just so interesting. My, you know, my next question is going to tie back into that notion. And so I'll ask the question and I'll tie it back in. And so first I want to define terms. I think it'd be really helpful if we just clarified what we mean by these 
these terms. You just use the term POC. And for some people, they may not know that people of color, communities of color. Um, but we have these other words like, so let's just take them one by one. Tara, how do you define racism? Yeah. So there's a very specific definition that I use. It is power and privilege. And it is the systemic, the systemic prejudice against certain groups that equals racism. So you have to have both of those things. You have to have power in this system and you have to have prejudice against specific groups for that to equal racism. It is usually based on color. And so that's also an important factor to that is a part of racism. There's other isms, but that's specifically for racism. So then how would you define structural racism? Yeah, structural racism is the integration imbuing of racism into the systems. And the systems were based on racism to begin with. If you go back in history, you can see that these systems from the very beginning were anti-Black and anti-Indigenous. They are rooted in pro-whiteness. In every system that we have in the United States right now, they are pro-white. And so that means that it's for the success of white people and potentially the not success or worse for POC. And POC is people of color, black indigenous people of color. And so that's how the structure itself is imbued with racism. And so we have a duty to start understanding how that power structure is affecting all of us. I think that's one of the things that's been hardest to kind of to reconcile with as a white woman, where I was raised in a family that was not in any way racially aware. And there is this notion of like, why can't people pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Right. That there is that sense of like, I can control my own destiny. And it was only as an adult when I started to learn about redlining and the anti-Black banking system and the Japanese internment and all of these, you know, huge number of systemic issues. And so then I start reflecting on my, you know, mother's notion that, you know, why don't these folks pull themselves up by their bootstraps? And I have to admit that's been hard for me to reconcile. Well, if you think about the idea that the boots that white people are wearing actually belong to black and indigenous POC, right? And so, you know, the the land grabbing that happened for indigenous people, the eradication and st- the stealing of black people from Africa and bringing them over to the United States, where do they belong? What bootstraps are they supposed to pull themselves up by? And we sit here and we judge them and we say, you know, why can't they just get out of poverty? Why can't they just get off the reservation if you're talking about indigenous people? And it's like, well, you're wearing our boots, literally wearing our boots, the boots for which you're pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps are, they're not yours. They never were yours. It's such a strong visual. I appreciate that. So I have one more definition for you to tackle here and implicit bias. We hear a lot about bias. We hear a lot about implicit bias. What does that mean? Implicit bias is the process in which our brains develop patterns of understanding information. Those are developed when we're children. And so we are perceiving how our parents are reacting or engaging with information, specific information around race, around socioeconomic status around all sorts of different kinds of differences. And those are automatic in our brain. Okay. We don't have a choice about them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't choose to be raised by certain people. We just were. 
And, and so we have these biases and every single human on this earth has implicit bias. The difference for that's, that's important to note is, are you aware of your implicit bias and are you working towards not allowing it to be a pattern of behavior that you're playing out on certain groups of people, certain oppressed groups of people? So it's really important to understand that it's, it's kind of unseen, unconscious but it's there playing out on different people. And so becoming aware and slowing down, and that's that part of that reflection part is that you have to slow down a little bit to and, and start building muscles around slowing down and not judging people based on those implicit biases that you have. So it's science-based actually. And it's really important for, for you to understand your brain and how it works and how it processes information and then how it shoots out potentially harmful things. And so it's really important to understand your implicit bias and understand that everybody has it. It's a process of working through knowing what's okay and what's not okay. I think an extension also of these words that we're using, racism and structural racism, unfortunately, they've become political. And and we live in such a binary world. You're either, you know, you know, for Black Lives Matter or you're not for Black Lives Matter. We have these labels and we there's this notion. I was explaining before we hit record that Brene Brown talks about the difference between shaming and accountability. And Tara, you had something lovely to say about that. How can we process like shaming doesn't have value? How do we navigate those two ideas? Well, you know, shaming is a part of white supremacist culture. It's a way to control the natural human curiosity, the natural human creativity to solve our problems. It's a way to keep keep us in our boxes and to stop us from making, to become truly liberated from a system that was never meant to work well for anybody but white people, which is also harmful to white people. It's not helpful that racism is in existence today for white people. It actually doesn't work for you. It hurts your souls. It hurts your spirit. And so a part of working through that is knowing that shaming is a way that white supremacy culture keeps us in place and keeps us from being the full human beings that we're supposed to be. While accountability is this idea that it's really internal sovereignty, right? Like you as a human being have, has a duty. We have a, each of us have a duty to repair and repatriate harm really cure that harm that maybe you have caused. We've all caused harm. I've caused harm. I've I've made mistakes. And to be accountable for those mistakes, I have to actually go back to the person I caused harm to and repair with them. And that they get to decide what that looks like. Hopefully they're not shaming me in that moment, but shame is a way to hold us back from all the good things in the world. And it's a white supremacist culture norm. And we see shaming happening. We see it, we do it to our girls, particularly it happens to women. There's some, you know, some sexism that gets played out in a way that doesn't happen for men. POC, we, we experience shame for existing for our, the color of our skin or for our cultural norms or for the way we, we handle conflict, the way we, dress the way we are perceived. And it's a way to hold us back from our full, appreciating our full differences. So that's one small little thing to keep in mind is that shame is absolutely an unuseful feeling. That reminds me of the section in your conference talk where you talked 
you had a, an image about, I think it was a fish in a fishbowl and it, the words around it were along the lines of like, the longer you swim in a culture, the more invisible it is. And I, I just think what you're asking for all of us to do, regardless of who we are or what our role is in our organization or what our role is in our community, um, is just to spend time understanding what that environment is that we're swimming in and that Others are swimming in different environments. Um, and it's it's good to to know that the, the world is bigger than that bowl. And th- thank you for, for all of this wisdom. I'm going to have to go listen to this session like four more times to soak it all in. Maybe it's time for us to shift a little bit to where we see these systemic uh, white racial superiority showing up in nonprofit spaces. And I am wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit about some of first of all, the core values, which is something we end up talking about all the time on the nonprofit radio show, core values that you think are really important for nonprofits to be reflecting on as they think about equity in their work. Yeah. So nonprofits are uniquely positioned in our society to do liberation work. They're probably the most nimble, the most capable, and they could be the leaders in our in our society to change the system of oppressions that we live in. Because, you know, the education system is so slow to move, the the justice system is so slow to move, but but nonprofits are uniquely positioned to be the true liberators for us, meaning they're the ones that are going to translate to the world how we can be better, how we can do do things in a way that's not racist, how we can do things as a, as a society that is truly loving and creating belonging for all people. And I think nonprofits have that unique set of values that can set that up. That takes work though. It's not easy. It requires the your board to decide that they're going to be on a liberation journey. And what I mean by liberation is breaking free of the system of white supremacy. And that's really hard work to do. Because our boards, our boards are formatted in a way that's like, oh, we're going to act like a business, but we're really not a business because we're not earning money, right? So there's there's a little bit of a, a fallacy that's happening within nonprofits, and it's okay as long as you're you're aware of it and you're conscious of it because you understand that this is a part of the system of an economy that is based on black and brown labor that is taking advantage of black and brown labor. Okay. And so understanding the role within that system is, is important. That's liberation work alone. Just, just acknowledging that. And then the next steps are how can you integrate racial equity in your, in your daily operations that is inclusive and creates belonging for black indigenous and other POC. That means creating a space for them to have voice in your organization. That's a commitment that when you take in that voice, you're going to do something with it. You're not going to just, just have it be there and then not change how you do business. It's really important for you to spend time and energy and money on creating that, that space. And it's hard to do. It's not easy, especially small nonprofits that don't have a big budgets. And so I know there's lots of consultants in racial equity consultants who are out there and who are willing to work with these small nonprofits within the budgets that they have. I commit to doing that. So I don't ever limit my ability to work with an organization based on how much money they can pay because that's not that doesn't that doesn't reach my goals of decolonizing the nonprofit world. So I think it can be a hard journey, but it's an important journey. And every small step that you take to decolonize your spaces or to create liberation 
is a step in the right direction. I think the first part, I mean, you speak about the three values around authenticity, relationship, and restoration. And I mean, two of those three values we talk a lot about on the, on the radio show, authenticity and relationship. And that third one, restoration, I think is, is new for, for our audience. Can you talk a little bit about what restoration means in the nonprofit context? Yeah, so restoration means that you share the monies that you receive for the grants that you get with organizations that are run by Black and Indigenous and other POC, that you truly partner with them. It also means that you intentionally build those relationships where you understand that there is a power differential between a white run organization and a BIPOC run organization and saying, we are committed to neutralizing that power so that the voices that those BIPOC organizations or communities are saying are truly integrating into the work that you're doing. And it also means that you have to sometimes do restoration work where you have to do healing work with your with your communities of color, because sometimes maybe you haven't been as good at including them in the grants that you're doing or the work that you're doing, but you're trying to access the numbers, right? So this is something that happens in nonprofits where you, you know, you're asking for a certain number of POC or a certain, you know, that you're committing to serving black and indigenous or POC. And the way that you do that is by going to some nonprofit that's run by a POC and you say, hey, can we have your numbers? But then there's no true feedback. There's no true um, partnership there. It's just, um, we'll give you a small stipend if you give us your kids. Instead of saying, you know, let's be in partnership. What would this look like if we did this together? What that sparked for me is just the notion that um, sometimes when when white-led organizations go to do that, it's almost like we go in with our demand list, not intentionally, it, it, it all couched very much in a like, oh, we want to be of help. But it's sort of like, and then could you fit into our way of doing this? And I think it's so important for our organizations, especially our white-led organizations, to recognize the assets and power and strength in organizations that are led by Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and and that their style and approach may be different, and it might even be better, and (laughs) often is. And we need to be open to that and to and to move at that speed, whatever that is, whether it's slower or faster or in between, but to adjust ourselves to those organizations instead of expecting everyone to move into what has for us been the norm. And centering relation, relation, relational aspects of this work is really, really important to, to create equity. And the more relation you have, the more time you spend with those leaders in the community that are BIPOC, the more the more you're going to understand what works and what doesn't work and what's right and what isn't right. And so really important to build relationships outside of demands for working together. It can't just be based on how we can partner, but like literally, how can we be in relationship with each other so that I am from the beginning doing it as right as I can do it. That takes reflection and energy and a slowing down that the business world doesn't do well, (laughs) but is so essential to doing the work well with each other. And, And I think nonprofits are, like I said before, are perfectly poised to do that well because nonprofits can be the ones to slow down. 
They can, they need to, if they want to do the work better, if they want to have a a wider impact, if they want to make sure that they're reducing their harm, then building relationships with BIPOC leaders is one of the first ways in which you can do that. It strikes me that a lot of our listeners are in rural areas where I've heard many times in my travels that, you know, there are no people of color in our community, that they're just not there. And so we don't need to do the equity work because there's no, we don't see them. What would, what's your, (laughs) I see that smile on your face. What are you thinking? Well, I I would say that there are 29 tribal reservations in Washington state and they are, they cover all sorts of rural areas. They're connected to all sorts of rural areas. And then there's, there's, if we're just talking about indigenous people, there's 300 plus urban Indian people and people across the community who live in all these pockets of places across Washington state that you can access. And and that's just indigenous people. I'm just speaking of indigenous people because I'm indigenous, but there's black people in every community in this state. There are Latino people in every every corner of this state. And so they are there. You just have to go and look for them. They are unseen because the system wants you not to see them. They are unseen and they are unheard because white supremacy says they don't exist. So you don't have to worry about them. We are very grateful that Tara was able to spend time with us talking about equity. We'll include information about how to follow Tara in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. 